we have read the conversion of Saul numerous times in Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. But have you, have you ever stopped to ask, why Saul? There was a man that was a persecutor, a blasphemer, a violent aggressor, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He was killing Christians, hunting them down. He was the one who held the coats when they stoned Stephen. And yet God went well out of His way when Saul was on the road to Damascus to make sure the gospel got to him and to give him the opportunity for salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ by the message of the gospel. Why Saul? Are you aware that Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, actually answers that question? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, Paul wrote, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who believe. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Why Saul? Three reasons are listed in this passage that I want us to notice. Three reasons that will help us be better Christians and help us have assurance in Jesus Christ of His mercy and His grace. Before we take a look at those, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up because you are amazing. Your mercy astounds us. We are so sinful. And while we recognize that Paul claimed to be foremost of all, we all believe that we outrank him in that regard. And we're thankful that your son died to take our sins away. We pray, Father, that you would help us to live in accord with your word. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be loyal and trustworthy servants and stewards of your manifold grace. Father, we pray that we will learn your will and that we'll apply it to our lives so that we might serve and honor you. Thank you so much for allowing us to gather here to worship you with your children, to edify one another. Help us always to look to you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son, we offer this prayer. Amen. If you'll notice, the first reason that Saul gave, or that Paul gave, that God chose him, he said, because he considered me faithful. There in verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus who strengthened me because he considered me faithful. One of the reasons that God chose Saul is because Saul was a faithful person. Now, what does this faithfulness mean here? Does this faithfulness mean he was a believer? Of course not. Saul wasn't a believer. Saul was a persecutor. He didn't believe the message. That is why he was persecuting. But God looked at him and saw faithfulness. The faithful that's being talked about here is not believing, but rather 
loyalty, trustworthiness. It's a picture of a steward that can be trusted with the charge and the resources that are granted him. I think perhaps the best way to understand what Paul is talking about here is to take a look at some of the steward parables that Jesus taught that we find in the book of Luke. Look in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 35, Jesus said, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come. Excuse me, and will come up and wait on them, whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third, and finds them so. Blessed are those slaves. See, there's the concept of faithfulness. There's the faithful steward, the faithful slave, who is dressed in readiness, who is loyal to his master, whether the master is present or not. Heard a story one time. The boss came in and saw the young man working away at his desk, and he says, Robinson, how long have you been working here? And he said, well, since I heard you coming down the hall. You know, that's the way some folks are, but the faithful servant is the one who is a hard worker, who is loyal to his master, who performs his duty and keeps his charge, whether the master's present or not. Consider Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We're not going to read the entire parable, but if you look at Jesus' explanation in verse 10, in Luke 16 and verse 10, He said, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he'll love the one, either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Here is the faithful servant, the faithful steward, who is singly minded, who is single minded and singly devoted to, the, to his master, to his one and only master. He's not distracted by other masters, but is focused on discharging his duties in the best way he can to serve his one master. Notice that the faithfulness was contrasted with unrighteousness or injustice, the idea of deceitfulness. See, that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness means acting in righteousness, considering the charge that has been laid at my feet. The faithful steward is one who faithfully, justly, righteously does what he's supposed to do in single-minded devotion to his one master. That's faithfulness. Consider one more in Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, Luke 19, beginning at verse 11, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. 
The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be an authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you are an exacting man, you take up what you did not lay down and reap what you didn't sow. And he said to him, by your own words, I'll judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I didn't lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. The faithful steward is the one who is faithful even in the small things, even with the tiny mina, and therefore can be entrusted with the large city. As the last parable had said, those who are faithful in the small things will be faithful in the large things. But the faithful steward is the one that takes the resources, the opportunities, the abilities that are granted by the master and uses them faithfully to accomplish the master's will. This is the picture of faithfulness. When Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, this is what he's talking about. Saul served a wrong master. He was behind in God's plan. He misunderstood and he didn't believe in Jesus. But when God looked at him, he saw a person that was loyal and trustworthy. A person who kept his charge. A person who discharged his duties with faithfulness. Whether they were small or great. A person that could be trusted whether the Master was present or not present to be doing his job. Therefore, because of that, Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, giving him the opportunity to allow Jesus to be his master. We need to look at our lives in the mirror of this Scripture. If God had a job and He wanted to handpick somebody from among us, would He be able to look at, at us and say, there's one that's faithful. There's one I can trust. There is one that will use their duties, use their abilities, their opportunities, their resources to accomplish the duty that I grant to them. Could Jesus say that about us? There is one that whether it is small or great, they're going to put their all into it. There is one that whether they see my presence or not, they're going to do the job. Because that's faithfulness. I certainly don't want to make it sound like there's some kind of test for who will and who will not become a Christian, or for who will be a good Christian and who won't, but certainly God places this concept of faithfulness. He's got a premium there. And He wants faithful. Yes, believing, but not only believing, trustworthy, faithful, loyal, hard-working stewards. Saul said there was a second reason. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. We find that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
Do we know people that are like that? People that are sincere and devoted, but sincerely devoted to error? And we can tell that the biggest problem there is that they're just ignorant of the truth. They, they don't know the truth. And sometimes we think to ourselves, you know, if we could just get, them, get the truth to them, what a great Christian they would make. And we wonder and we ask questions, what about them? I mean, they're sincere, they're devoted, they're just mistaken, they're just ignorant of this truth of God. If they die, what's God going to do to them? Is He going to let them go on to heaven? Is He going to extend grace and mercy to them? Here's the lesson that we get from Paul. I can put before you tonight, confidently and without fear of successful contradiction, that God always extends mercy and grace to those who act ignorantly in unbelief. That's what he did with Saul. But how did he do that? Did he extend mercy and grace to Saul by merely saying, oh, he's acting ignorantly in unbelief. I'm just going to shoo him on into heaven. Look in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. And what did he tell him in verse 6? Get up, enter the city, and it'll be told you what you must do. Saul was a man who had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Therefore, God bestowed His mercy and grace upon Saul by making sure that Saul had the opportunity to respond to the truth. He didn't just save him where he was. He didn't just say, well, you've just not served me all this time, but you did it ignorantly in unbelief, and I'm going to save you despite yourself. He said, Saul, go into the city and I'm going to send somebody and they're going to tell you what to do. And it was up to Saul. Saul had to make the choice. Saul could have rejected it. But he didn't. And that's the exact same thing for all who act ignorantly in unbelief. God does bestow His mercy and grace by providing everyone the opportunity to respond to the truth. At the very least, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 demonstrates that God has bestowed His mercy and grace on all by providing within His creation a revelation of His nature so that we can all respond to that. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. God has provided mercy and grace merely through the, the creation. By looking at the wonders around us, we can tell that God is God and we are not. And it's our job to respond humbly to Him and find His will and not just do our own thing. But that's God's mercy and grace. He's given us that opportunity. But in addition to that, He's not only provided that revelation within creation, He's provided a specific revelation. And He's given it to the world and it's wrapped up now and it's bound. And you can go to almost any bookstore all over the world and buy it. And as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17, you can search it daily 
to see what things are so. What mercy and grace God has bestowed on everyone. And those who are acting ignorantly and in unbelief, all they have to do is open the pages of this book and they can have the exact same opportunity that Saul had. That's all any of us have to do. Open the Word of God and our ignorance can dissipate. God has bestowed that mercy and grace on all. What are we going to do with it? That's the question. There are three things that we need to learn about this. Number one, we are not ever going to get to stand before God and say, it's not my fault. This is what Edwin was teaching all those years. This is what my friend said. This is what the preacher said. This is what the elders said. Because God has bestowed His mercy and grace on all of us who are acting ignorantly in unbelief so that we can remove our ignorance. The second thing, none of our friends are ever going to get to say that. They're not ever going to get to stand before God in judgment and say, it's not my fault. That's what my pastor said. It's what my priest said. It's what my parents said. It's what my professor said. They're not going to get to do that. They have to understand, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped, furnished for every good work. And they've got to get in it. And so the third thing, those of us who have gotten into the Word and studied it and allowed our ignorance to be taken away so that we can have the further mercy and grace of God through salvation, I've got to get that message out. We can't just hang on to it here in our holy huddle. We've got to get out on the playing field and get the gospel message out because nobody's going to get to stand before God and say, oh, I was so ignorant. God's going to say, oh, I did the same thing with you that I did with Saul. I got my word out there and you rejected it. Because Saul acted ignorantly in unbelief, God gave him the opportunity to respond to the truth. Saul accepted it. What will we do with it? The third thing that Paul said, and so that Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who believe on Him for eternal life. Paul said, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. And yet Jesus Christ was patient with me. Unwilling that I should perish, granting the opportunity for repentance so that I might be saved. And what an example that is for everyone. You see, what Paul is saying here is the third reason God chose me wasn't for me, but for everyone else after me. That's what Paul's saying. So that the world could know that no matter what we have done, God will forgive. What have you done? I know that if you're like me at times, you probably wonder, could God possibly forgive me with all these awful things that I've ever done? Let me ask you, have you ever, have you ever blasphemed? Have you ever persecuted Christians? Have you ever held coats of people that were picking up rocks and throwing them at a Christian until he died? Have you ever murdered a Christian? 
Those are the things that Paul had done. And yet, amazingly enough, we still read in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ananias saying to this very same persecutor, this blasphemer, this violent aggressor, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Saul could have his sins washed away as bad as they were. And if Saul's sins could be washed away, what about ours? As bad as they are. What this demonstrates to us is that God developed His plan to send His Son to die. And there is not one person since that time that lived on this earth and did something so tragically awful that God said, I didn't see that one coming. Knowing our sins, knowing your sins, He sent Jesus to die for you anyway. Romans 5 and verse 8. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God could look through all of time and He could see you and He could see exactly what you were going to do. He knew the sins you were going to commit before you even got on the face of the earth. And He still made the decision, I want to send my Son to die for them. And according to Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We can walk in newness of life. Saul was saved so that we might recognize that no matter how bad we have been, no matter the wasted years, no matter the awful actions, no matter what we've done, Jesus died to wash those sins away. And if He could be patient with Saul, how much more can He be patient with us? Aren't you glad God chose Saul? What great lessons we can learn from him. Why did He choose him? Because He was faithful. He acted ignorantly in unbelief. And so he could demonstrate his patience to all of us.